You're listening to the Biblical Manhood and Womanhood series taught by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Ephesians 5.15, Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is the excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself. For no man yet ever hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and let the wife see that she reverence her husband. All right, we, we started two weeks ago working our way through the idea of biblical manhood and womanhood, and we are now on the topic of marriage. The quote at the top of your page says, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. That's by Socrates, okay? And we said too often, the main focus is on the who of marriage and not the why of marriage. And so when we focus on the who, who here's what happens. Number one, we talked two weeks ago about unrealistic expectations. We have this idea that, well, love will just conquer all. And so uh, what happens is we find a person and we're infatuated. And by the way, this lesson on marriage is for those who are not married and those who are married. All right? It's important. So we, we said two weeks ago that infatuation is not a bad thing. It's great to be attracted to someone you're going to spend the rest of your life with. It would be a bad thing if you were never attracted to them. All right? Um, I would encourage against that, actually. That would be bad. Bad. Right? Like a... A sentence, uh, I got 50 years now, whatever. But know this, that when infatuation starts, it's an hourglass, right? And you have between 12 and 18 months before that's done. It's over with. The, the reality sets in. And that's why if you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage, you stay there. Because you can be infatuated again with someone else, and I'm telling you, after 12 to 18 months, it ends, Right? And the problem is not that, oh, they just don't do it for me anymore. The problem is you and your unrealistic expectations. And it happens time and time again. I'm tired of this marriage. I got the seven-year itch. Okay? Well, you can scratch the itch and you go someplace else. But after 12 months or 18, it's over with. And you start again. And you never learn anything about yourself and who you are. And it's really cool to blame everybody, but if you go from broken relationship to broken relationship to broken friendship to broken friendship, 
then maybe, just maybe, the problem could be you. Right? The common denominator doesn't change. And so, this unrealistic expectations that, you know, love will just conquer all, don't go there. And if you're single, don't use dating as a missionary endeavor. There's actually, there's actually a cult back in the 70s, and um, they would send women out, and they called it flirty fishing. And they would flirt with men to bring them into their cult, right? It was Harry Krishna's? Well, they probably, there, there was another group too, but what's that? Children of God. Children of God, all right. It could be, yes, I think that is it. So stay away from them, all right? They have ulterior motives. So, but Christian people do this. You find this guy, and he's the bad boy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change his heart. I'm going to change him. Sweetheart, listen to me. You ain't going to change him. And what's so appealing at first will be a nightmare afterwards. And just a heads up, after people get married and get what they want, usually the motivation to change is gone. So, so don't do the children of God flirty fishing. Don't make missionary projects. Don't do that. It's not wise. So, unrealistic. Number two, we said, we believe that this person will complete me. And so, I've got something missing in my life, and if I can just snag this person, if he would just marry me, if she was my wife, I would be complete. Listen, that is not fair to anyone, because no one can complete you, except one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And when you put that weight on someone else, you're going to suffocate them, because they can't do it, and... You're always going to be unhappy. That's the reality of this, okay? So, you know, whoever you complete me, no, Jesus Christ completes us, and he completes us completely, all right? Letter C, believe that we have found the one. This is our soulmate. We talked about Plato's myth of Aristophanes, that in the beginning, all people were made, and there were circles. They had two heads, four arms, four legs, and they would go forward and backward and do cartwheels. They were terrifying to the gods, and so Zeus cut them in half. And then their whole plan in life was to go and find that one, the soulmate. Now listen, you just know from Hollywood this doesn't work, right? How many times have you seen, we're just soulmates, Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah Winfrey's sofa, saying how much love he is with whoever that was years ago. (laughs) I don't even know who it was. Who was it at the time? Katie? Katie Holmes, Katie Perry, Katie Couric. All right, so, oh, oh, see, you watch it, Tom. Good, thank you. I know, that's right, that's right, Tom. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Actually, Tom told me about it. Hey, guess what? They're not together anymore. Yeah, believe it or not, I'm devastating Mr. Manning. He thought they're still together. They're not still together, right? The soulmate's a myth. And, and think about the reasoning of that. Okay, let's just say that was true. So you married the wrong soulmate. You got the wrong one. You just messed it up for thousands of people, right? Because that means the person that they should have been with got the wrong one, which means they got the wrong one, and so on and so on. And you just made a mess of everything, okay? It doesn't work like that. There's a whole group of people that you could marry, that, that, that you could be happy with, all right? So your soulmate is your S-O-L-E mate, right? The one that you do life together. If you're wondering, if you, got a, if you have a wedding band on, that's your soulmate. You can quit looking, right? You can quit wondering, that's the one. 
Okay? And then we said letter D, we believe that we will live happily ever after. Okay? Here's, here's the deal. We have these concepts that before marriage, if I just, if I get married, then he will always be helping me and she will be wonderful and we'll live happily ever after and we'll just cuddle every night for the next 60 years. Funny story, talking to a couple where got married and the truth is the one's a real cuddler and so every night the spouse was finding themselves on the edge of the bed, right? And finally they had to go around the bed and go to the other side, right? And then she found him again. All right, so this is the reality of life, okay? Understand that. This is happily ever after it's, it's not a reality. And, and, and listen to me. I'm telling you something. You better be prepared. Now, now I'm going to talk about it later, and I, I don't want to give a bad impression of marriage because marriage is wonderful and beautiful and it's done right. It's the, it's the best thing this side of heaven for those who are married. So I, I don't want to, to just talk about negative things, but the truth is when you get married, I don't care who you are, you're in for a surprise. You're in for I was talking to, to Tom two weeks ago. And he gave this story. I'm going to use it. It wasn't the one about Katie, and it was a different one. <laughs> we talk about a lot of things. And he said, this is true now. The other stuff wasn't true. This is true. He said, my wife and I came from similar backgrounds, right? Same types of family. Farmers, I think both farmers, both conservative values. Right? Both families raised like that. Right, Tom? I mean, as close as you can be, probably, to finding someone that's just like you. And the day you were married, what did you realize? Culture shock. Culture shock. And, and listen, Beth and Tom are good people, right? But he said the difference was night and day. Why? Because these two worlds are colliding. And, and just like singleness can be sanctifying, marriage is sanctifying. We'll talk about that too. But, but listen, be aware of that. It is... Different And this idea that happily ever after, it's work. It's work. And so understand that. Okay? That's why we said in, when we closed last week, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We don't seek romance, infatuation, compatibility, um, love or chemistry. Those things aren't bad. But, but that's not what we're hunting after. We're hunting after Jesus Christ. And we should be looking for people who are doing the same thing. Singles, listen to me. Don't be dating a guy or girl who has no desire for Jesus Christ. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how much money they have, how established they might be, how funny they are. It doesn't matter. If they are not seeking Jesus Christ, you're in for trouble. Because Christ changes everything, right? And what happens is I fall in love with someone bigger than me that becomes more and more beautiful, and it's Christ. And so let me just say before we move on to the the new stuff, Along this line, if you're single or if you're married, it's imperative that you cultivate your spiritual life, right? If you're single, you should be spending time with other singles and other couples who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are pushing you, who who you're growing in spiritual relationship, right? That's what should happen. And couples, listen to me, you have got to grow spiritually together. I'm amazed how many couples... Never pray together. Just don't pray together. I talked to a guy one time. I want to punch him. I, well, I want to punch a lot of people. But I was talking to a guy having trouble with his marriage. And I said, listen, one of the things my wife and I did, we started praying. And the guy says, that's manipulative. I, I'm just trying to pray to get her. Well, you're manipulative. It's not prayer. It's you. And he cannot see the value in pouring his heart out before God with his wife to grow in their relationship. He was a fool. 
Listen, and here's the problem. Do you know why we don't pray together? Because first, it's awkward, right? Because prayer is intimate. But you, you ought to be able to pray with your spouse and be honest. Can I tell you something? There is nothing sweeter than having your spouse pray for you and her heart being poured out or his heart being poured out for you. You get a little glimpse of their soul, and it's a good thing. You, you should be reading together. Right? Most of the time, our conversations, and I'm talking about married couples now, they're so lame or they're so boring because we have nothing spiritual to share. And that's problematic because what we say as believers is, the most important thing in my life is my spiritual life. Then why aren't we talking about it? When Kim and I went away for the sabbatical, we knew, at least I knew, that I have a tendency when I get out of routine and habit to have the flesh fast, right? I'm going to sleep, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat, I'm going to sleep, right? That's what I'm going to do. And fish. That's what I'm going to do. And I didn't want to do that. And so we made it, we made it, we made it clear. We're, we're going to read these books. We're going to listen to these podcasts. We're going to talk about these things. And can I tell you, it was the most refreshing time away I've ever had. The most. And to this day now, afterwards, we were out two weeks ago having dinner. And as we're having dinner, we talk about our kids, we talk about the church, we talk about problems. But the majority of time was talking about theology. If you want to know what it was, it was Calvinism and Arminianism. What a fascinating conversation that was. But it was good. And so, you've got, to, you've, you've got to cultivate that. And if you're single, look for other singles and married couples who love Christ. Let that put a fire in you as well. Okay, any questions or comments on that before we go on? Anything at all? Okay, new stuff. Let's hit it. This is the reality of marriage now. Point A, marriage points to something bigger. Much bigger. Right? It's not like, I'm just going to be so happy, or it's going to be so much fun, or we get to do life together. Those are great things. But marriage points to something so much bigger, right? It points to our God. It points to character change. It points to growing community with family and others, and it's sanctifying. And so here's the reality marriage is, is not, it's bigger than you, right? I have to laugh at some of these brides who become bridezillas. Do you know what I mean? You, you watch these shows and they spend $10,000 on a dress. And 60, I'm not kidding, $60,000 on a wedding. Can I tell you? That's sheer foolishness. If you would invest that in your marriage instead of on your wedding, you would do well, right? It's not about that stuff. It's much bigger than that. So the reality is it points to something bigger. Letter B, it is a picture of Christ and the church. We started by reading Ephesians 5, and I can remember several times doing counseling for couples going to get married and talking to the man and going through Ephesians 5 and seeing as we read the qualifications or the stipulations or what the commands for a husband, you could feel and sense that this young guy was getting the weight of what he was about to do the responsibility of leading this woman like Christ is to lead the church. And what he tells us there in this picture, as we show the world, the church, our kids, and others, Christ and the church, the husband is to then play the role of Jesus Christ. Now think about that. And he tells us what that means is sacrificial 
selfless servant leadership. That Jesus Christ, he leads the church, but it's servant, sacrificial servant leadership. Right? That's what he does. He plays the role of Christ. Now listen to me, and this is important. Not only does a husband play Jesus in this thing as a sacrificial servant, that's Christ, but the wife plays the role of Jesus in the fact that she is sacrificially submitting to her husband. Because that's what Christ did. He came not to be served, but to serve, right? He submitted to the will of the Father. And so both the husband and wife show Jesus Christ. Now, now let's stop, because here's the word submission, right? It's like, Arr! Can I tell you something? Ephesians 5, we're all called to submit. All of us. Everybody has to submit. Everybody does it. You, you submit to the law, you submit to government, you submit to the church, we submit. And so when you say, oh, you just want to keep someone under your thumb and I'm not that weak to submit, can I tell you something? Submission is not weakness. It is never weakness. Think about it. A two-year-old says, no one got to me what to do. Right? Anybody can do that. That's not strength. It's not strength at all. But when someone willingly submits to another, it's strength. It's real strength. And so both play the role of Jesus Christ, right? Christ in the church. It's a picture of Christ in the church. And as the picture of Christ in the church, we are called to flourish, to heal, to make whole, unconditional love and acceptance. Now think with me this morning. Could you imagine what our marriages would look like if husbands and wives would take serious their roles of sacrificial service and sacrificial submission. I'm telling you something. It would revolutionize our marriages. And so Paul tells us we have an obligation to sacrifice, both husband and wife. Uh, This is the example of Christ, and here's what it means. It means that I can sacrificially serve or I can sacrificially submit even when I don't perceive that I'm receiving what I need. It doesn't work like, okay, I will sacrificially submit if you will sacrificially lead. Or I will sacrificially lead if you will sacrificially submit. That's not in there. A matter of fact, husbands, there is no mechanism to make her submit. I'm told that the rule of thumb meant that you, the rule of thumb is you could hit someone with the width of your thumb, like with a rod. Is that what it meant? I don't know. Did it? Oh, good. That's not good. I don't know why I said good, because it's not good. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't use a rod. We're not Muslim. You, you can't beat her. It's not, that's not what the Bible says. It, it can't be done. There is. And so what happens is, Egerich talks about this crazy cycle where it says, I need to be respected as a man, and my wife needs to be loved, but she's not respecting me, so I'm not loving her. And because I'm not loving her, she doesn't respect me. And because she doesn't respect me, I'm not loving her. Right? And this cycle goes round and round and round. It's a crazy train. It's a crazy train. That's not God's plan. Because Christ sacrificially led and because he sacrificially gave himself and submitted, we're to do the same thing regardless of what we're getting out of it. Is that always fair? No. It's not. Can I tell you something? There are some men who are jerks. There are. 
and they'll take everything they can take. They're not a good example of Jesus Christ. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I think this is some areas where the church ought to step in and say, hey man, you're not being Christ to that woman. But, but they're, not. they're not. They're not sacrificially giving. It's like, me, me, me. And there are wives who couldn't care less. They disrespect their husbands all the time. But because of the example of Christ, it's like, listen, it does not matter. I am called to sacrifice, whether as a servant leader or in submission, and it doesn't matter what someone else is doing for me. And here's the problem in marriage. When it's not happening, I'm keeping score. Check, check, check. Oh, didn't do it again. It's not good. It's not right. Quit keeping score. You're going to be miserable. It's not fair. I know it's not fair. But I have a hunch when Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you and me, there was no fairness involved. As a matter of fact, it was, a, it was an injustice because he who was innocent died for us. And so, it's a picture of Christ in the church. And this is how we grow as believers. We have to sacrifice. Does that make sense? Is it difficult? Yes. But there's growth in that. Any comments, questions? Kim? That's exactly right. When we had a little coffee with the dresser thing here, and we had some people here, they asked what was the best advice you can give, and Kim hit the whole thing, love Jesus more. Right? And the more you love him, it, it changes everything, not just in marriage, but in all of life. And, the, and we'll talk about that in a moment, because the more in line I come with him, the more productive I am for other people. I become a blessing to everyone I come in contact with, right? That's Christ. So good. Anything else on that? All right, letter C. Marriage has a purpose, and the purpose is to make you holy. To make you holy. And not happy, but, but hold the thought on happiness, because, because happiness is a byproduct, but that's not the main thing. It is to make you holy. It is a process of sanctifying our hearts and our souls. Nobody knows you better or should know you better than your spouse. There are things that they will know about you that nobody else knows, right? Nobody in this room knows that my toothbrush is pink. Nobody, until right now. Okay? And Kim's is really a manly color. I don't know, I think it's camouflage or something. I'm not sure what it is, right? I'm okay with that. I'm secure in my pinkness. Okay. It cleans my teeth and I picked it out, it's fine, right? But nobody knows you better than that person. Nobody. And they see warts and all. And nobody can expose you better than that person. And the, the thought here is not to expose them in a way to destroy them, but to have honest conversations where we speak truth into each other's lives. And again, this can be difficult and really hard. And, and I said this before, as men, when, when our wives say to us, hey, you know, I've noticed this. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, why are you attacking me? Right? Um, and, and vice versa. And sometimes it is an attack, let's be honest. Sometimes you're mad and so you exploit an area to hurt somebody. That's wrong, by the way. But when you approach them with love, it shouldn't be an attack, whether real or perceived. It should be saying, I love you enough to tell you this is a real issue. And I love you enough so that I don't want other people to know what an idiot you are. I want you to work on this so that you really see growth in this area. 
And if we can see it like this, it would change us. It's not an attack. Do you know what? It is not loving to let people continue in wrong or bad behaviors or destructive things. When you say, I love you to your spouse, and yet you know there's, there's activities that are destructive and you say nothing, you don't love them. You love yourself because you want everything to be okay. And, and this idea of sanctifying is important. We, we have to make sure that we are, we are honest and open Giving and receiving in this area. Its purpose is to make us holy. Now listen to me. In the end, it does make us happy. It's not the goal, but it's a byproduct. Why? Because as I grow in Christ, as I become more like Him, as my life lines up with my design and purpose, I find real joy and real happiness and real peace. Because now I am walking in line with my Creator. And I'm looking more and more like Christ. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Done. So, when I come in line with him and know him and love him and transform by him and look more like him, I find real joy, happiness, and peace. Okay? Make sense? Letter D. Marriage is permanent. It's permanent. Listen, let me talk to our folks who've gone through divorce. It doesn't make you second-class anything. We live in a broken and fallen world, and people make decisions, and we're hurt by decisions of others often, and it's, and it's a terrible thing, all right? But understand, when we come into this covenant, and that's what it is, it's permanent. Marriage is not a contract. A contract says, well, hey, we have an agreement. Uh, I promise to buy 12 boxes of... Girl Scout cookies on Friday, so you deliver and it's good. And you don't show up on Friday, the contract's done. You didn't keep your part, I'm out. And it's fine. That's not marriage. Marriage is a covenant. And a covenant means, yes, it's legal and binding, right? It's public. We're going to do this in the sight of God and these witnesses. But it's more than that. It's a covenant of love. I'm here when you're not everything you're supposed to be. Because I want to tell you something. There will be times when your spouse is not everything they're supposed to be. And you're not everything you're supposed to be. And that's not the time to walk, or to think, or to fantasize. It's a time to remind yourself, you entered into a covenant. And a covenant says, I'm not going anywhere. You know the words we say in sickness, in health? It, richer or poor, or for my wife she said, for Richard or poor. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was on purpose or not, but they're, they're both synonymous, richer and poor. In sickness and in health, till death do us part. It's a covenant. It says, I am not going anywhere. It's fidelity to a person. To a person. It's unconditional love. And this is really, really tough. And, and I think sometimes married couples don't understand what it means to love unconditionally. It's like, I can't get my head around that. I really like you, but you're making me really mad now, whatever. But listen, you have a perfect example of what unconditional love is if you have children. Right? Let me tell you something about kids. They can ruin your life. Right? I mean, going out every night, doing what we want to do. Let's go out to eat. We got no, hey, let's stay up till one in the morning. We'll sleep in. Right? Time change means nothing to you after children. They don't get it that, hey, you can sleep in for another hour. They're up an hour early. It's terrible, right? They can, they can embarrass you. 
I mean, embarrass you. When we went to church early on. Just here, our boys were younger. And late in the church, pulled into our driveway and said, Hey, just let you know, one of your boys is peeing off the porch. <laughs> That's boys. I'm, I, that doesn't change. I mean, it's just, right? They look for ways at the superstore or whatever to just, I'm going to throw the tantrum here. We're going to have this right out here in line. We're going to do this. They can upset you. They can make you cry. They can make you scream. They can make you despair for life. But you know you're not going anyplace. They might put you in an early grave, but you're not going anyplace. (laughs) Right? Because no matter their behavior... Now, I know there's some whacked-out parents who just leave. I'm not talking about those people. But by and large, a parent understands unconditional love. Then we say, you know what? I love you, and you're really ugly right now. And we're going to deal with this. But I'm not going anywhere. And that's powerful. That gives us hope. That, That gives us the ability to fail and blow it and get back up again. And we do it with our kids all the time. And what I'm telling you is, that's the way it's supposed to be in our marriages. That we say, you know what? I'm in it to win it. This is hard. This is difficult. But I'm not going anyplace. You're stuck. It's like a bad rash. I ain't going away. Right? You just, we're in this thing. Right? It's a covenant. And the church has got to get back to this idea of a covenant. It's important. We're in a covenant relationship with our God. And what he says is, no matter how ugly you get, I love you. I'm going to call you back. I'm going to discipline. I'm going to bring you back to the right relationship. So it's fidelity in a person. Any comments or questions on that before we... One more thought? Okay. Last thought for today, and then we'll talk next week about maybe husbands and wives or children. I'm not sure where we're at. Is it children? I don't know. Children. We'll close it out. In the process of all of this, we need to make sure we find our identity in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about this this morning as well, but all religions and all philosophies of the world are achievement-based. If I do, if I achieve, I'm accepted. I'm good. I'm in. Uh, so my self-worth fluctuates. As long as I do, I'm good. That's not Christianity at all. It's not based on my achievements. It's not based on what I do. I don't find my self-worth in that. I find my self-worth in my identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has accepted me. Jesus Christ has forgiven me. Jesus Christ knows all about me, and he still loves me. And so, whenever you find out something wrong about me, it's no surprise. Jesus knew it already. So, if I could get my head around this and understand this, it means that in my life, whether it's in my marriage or in the church, if I understand my identities in Christ, I can take criticism. Because I know the gospel. I know I do blow it. I know I do sin. I know I do struggle. And so, but I'm secure. You're not knocking me down because you're worthless. No, I understand that. My identity is in Christ, and I expect to be corrected. I expect to have sin exposed. I expect people to be honest with me, and I expect to be able to take it. It might hurt at first, but it doesn't affect my acceptance. And if we can understand that in Christ, no matter what someone says or does, it doesn't change my worth or value. I'm a child of the King. I'm accepted. I'm beloved. All those things are for me. And and if, if we can understand that in our own relationships... Our identity, my identity is not in Kim. And thank God hers is not in me. It's not. Our identity is in Christ. And when I understand that and get a hold of that, then we can have honest conversations. Because I don't have to play, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to make myself look like I'm something or I've achieved this. I'm broken, man. I'm broken. But I have a Savior. 
who loves me. And he accepts me. And when I fall, I get up. And so when you tell me I've fallen and I'm broken, I say, Amen. I am. But that's not the end of the story. Because I'm complete in him. All right? Any questions, comments on, on that this morning? It's a great segue to the song we're singing, Complete in Thee, today. I think that was really nice. All right? Anything at all? All right. So next week, I think we're going to talk about kids next week. And uh, we'll entertain any questions you might have. God bless you for being here this morning. We'll see you in church.